bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Hello and welcome to the Weird Things podcast. I'm Andrew Mean, joined by Justin Robert Young. Well, hello, friends. And Mr. Bryce Castillo. Hi, everybody. That's me. Gentlemen, we've been robbed. What? What? How? Theft has happened. What theft? Who theft from? No one is allowed to thieve from me. It's against the law and order. It's a big theft. Big theft. All right. Uh, well, hey, I mean, look, I, I, I think uh, we need to get to the bottom of this. Lights are still here. Computers are still here. All right. My, my initial visual assessment is that nothing in this specific room has been has been thieved. I'm going to paint a picture for you, okay? Imagine you buy yourself uh, a Nintendo Switch, right? You get it. You're excited. You open it up. There's the Switch. There's the left part of the con- of the controller right yep. for what they call them on those joy cons joy con yeah i've got one sitting on my desk here and i don't even know what it's called <laughs> and the, but the right one's missing oh you gotta use the right one the yeah, right maybe. one's got the sensor and the motion stuff in it <gasps> okay well imagine you got the right one in the, in the middle and you didn't know there was a left one all you're, you're always playing games with one hand you're like oh okay cool i guess it's what it is and one day you go to a friend's house and you see they've got two and you're like like, what? what the hell? What? I thought you had to buy yeah. the other one. Imagine you got a Han Solo action figure, and you didn't know that he came with a blaster. And then you eventually find out that you have been blasterless this entire time. And bam, bam, bamboozled. You had, you had fun. It was cool. You played Han Solo adventures with your Han Solo action figure, then you realized he also came with a blaster. Well, I would not be too happy about that for sure. I like, uh, you know, buyer beware with, with a lot of stuff, but... No one likes to be taken for a fool. No one likes a bill of goods. No one likes to be uh, g- uh, getting given a ride. You know, had the wool pulled over their eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, been been uh, down old sham road. We get a box of donuts. It says twelve donuts. We open it up, and there's like eleven donuts in there. Like that's that. Well, oh my god! Because normally it's the other way. Normally you get the baker's does it. You get thirteen. Now you're you're not even at the. Uh, the, the the thing on 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 the box that's Here, ridiculous. Here's one that we messed up. Here you go. Have an have an extra one. Here's what you ordered, and then something on top of it. Just an, we, an we messed extra. up. Something something like All that. Right. Wait, hold I'm, on. I'm already mad, so Andrew. You you're bringing us through this hall of horrors of uh, uh, of understanding. I I, I got to imagine that this is springing from some real trauma. It is colossal. It's astronomical. Seems uh, astronomers. We're looking at Mars, and everybody's up on Mars. Let's go to Mars. Mars is cool. It's it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be like Palm Springs or, you know, Ibiza, whatever. It's gonna be the thing. Let's hop on our spaceships and go there. Well, some astronomers are paying some attention to Mars, and some of you know what Trojans are. Those are basically like asteroids that might be in the same orbital path as you are in. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah okay. Of course. Mars has got a couple Trojans, and they're looking at them, and one of them. One of them doesn't fit. One of them doesn't fit. You know, it's like you go on a trip, you know, and you come home and you think things are missing, but you're not sure because you misplaced stuff. And then the kid who lives down the hill from you 
who's sort of kind of not really trustworthy, is talking to you one day, and you look down on his wrist, and you see a watch that looks exactly like your watch. Oh, no. The bear. I, I, thought, he, I, I thought the bear stole my watch. No, no, but this is a true story, actually. He stole my watch. Oh, no. We got him. But, but anyhow. Uh, I had that happen in middle school, too. A kid just wore my jacket the next day, and I'm like, dude, that's my jacket. It's for sure my jacket. And he's like, nope. Well, that's a peril too. Like that's very like I stole a I stole a thumb drive from somebody as a kid, and oh, we just happened to have the same one, but not like clothing or uh, like jewelry, especially something that might be. It was a watch. It was a swatch, whatever. And I remember because I had this little scratch on the band, and he's standing there talking about something stuff. And I'm looking at that watch. I'm like, I think that's my watch. You got a scratch on it. Tell dad. I'm like. He stole my watch. Turned out that while we were gone, he had like broken into our house and stole a bunch of stuff. So <gasps> anyhow, oh my god! Yeah. And now he's stolen Mars. Unbelievable. Twenty twenty will never not end. This, not this person. No. Okay. No. No. Mars is the thief. No. Mars. Oh wait, did Mars? See, we're looking After at these asteroids. All this attention and time. This is how it the, rewards us. We're looking at the asteroids following are in the same like the Trojans that Mars has, and one of them looks a little unusual. One of them looks a little suspicious. One of them looks a little bit lunar-like, a little little like our moon. And we think it may have been a lost twin of our own moon. <gasps> what? Moon tiny two? Twin. A tiny moon? So remember what happened with the Earth was like we had this, this body collided into the proto-Earth, spun off a bunch of lava and stuff and whatever, and molten rock and formed the moon. So the moon is part impact from another, another project. Sedna, whatever we called it, and then you have the moon itself, you know, which is what formed afterwards, right? This may have been related to that rock. Wow. Is so that's it was not part cool. of that's the ours. Shrapnel, the, 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 the shrapnel of that impact made it all the way to Mars. We we don't know if like maybe if this was before. You know, and Mars got that part, and we got this one. But I say we own the matching set. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter if UPS sent it to the wrong house. No, yeah, we want it back. That's ours. All right. So how do we? What do we do? We Let's throw take a it net back. over it, bring it on oh. back, bring it back now, y'all. <laughs> uh, it's a second moon. <laughs> what it brings up though is that we're able to do a lot of really cool things now. We're getting closer looks at asteroids, and we're able to look at their compositions and make out details of them, and, and things that just used to be sort of faint points of light that we can sort of study, you know, their orbital patterns, what have you, to figure out some details about them. We're getting a closer look. We saw that with Bennu, which we talked about before, which we just did a, a, a recovery mission to actually get some material from there. And now we're looking at, uh, by the way, it's uh, the asteroid in question is 101429, 1998 VF31. <laughs> Catchy. Of course. Uh, oh, yeah. My favorite VF31. All the kids are going to have that lunchbox. We simplify it to 101429, okay? Mm. So it's a Trojan that follows behind Mars, and when they're looking at it closely, they said, this thing sort of stands out. It's part of a the, the rest of the group called the L5 Martian Trojans. Just like, you know, I think that's something that uh, our friend uh, Scott wrote for one of his Galactic Football League books. Yeah, right. Um, is uh it just stands out a bit so it just shows you that like you can still see the evidence of the early solar system and the collisions and the impacts and things that sort of throw it into this array we often have this idea of thinking that things in the sky are sort of have been sort of permanent or fixed you know forever and now we know that's not true and now we're seeing the evidence of like 
kind of the aftermath, the fingerprints of the early solar system are still there. Wow. So, That's pretty crazy. And it, it's, it's, it's really amazing that we're, that we're just kind of discovering that and understanding that. And I, I think that is going to be just one of the benefits of us being up in space more uh, and, and, and the ease of use to it. When we, when we actually think about what uh, cheaper access to the cosmos is, it's really can, or we should be measuring it in, in some of these things like this, just more of a knowledge of our natural world by way of being up there. It, it, it's it's interesting because the, the one theory is that something may have collided with the moon when it was still forming and sent it far off until it reached Mars orbit. Huh. Which would you know be further proof that it is ours that something happened. I and, think and that's, that's we're 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 just we're just making that canon right. Like we're just saying uh, let's file the paperwork right no. now. It's ours. Uh, I don't care who says what. Uh, we need it back immediately. We need to chip it. And we that's need to, one. We need the, to bring it back to chip it. One thing too is like. We forget, like, even within recent history, like geological history, like, kind of, you know, how the universe, the, excuse me, the universe, how the Earth and the solar system still settling down. One of the, the biggest extinctions ever was like the Great Dying, which is like the Permian period, where there's the Siberian Traps, which is placed in Siberia where you look and there's vast, humongous volcanic fields. When they were active, you know, it's hundreds of millions of years ago. You would have looked at the Earth, and you would have seen these big glowing bands, this big like glowing lake of volcanic liquid. Wow. And this is long after, this is billions of years after the moon had cooled down and most of the Earth had cooled down, but it still shows you what's underneath the surface. And even then, you know, the, imagine the early solar system, there would have been a lot of that, a lot of that all over, you know, and so... The idea that you'd have a collision and it would be like just molten rock spinning off into space and then still forming into something else like our moon is fascinating. Wow. That's crazy. That's wow. that's just uh, uh, I mean, it also whenever we get into this level of thinking, it always just I can't help but uh, uh, feel as insignificant as I've ever felt existentially <laughs> <laughs> to just to just know like what like just embers of fragments of some uh, uh context that is like epic and unknowable that we all are and yet i'm like worried about whether or not somebody still remembers that i was a dick to them in middle school Man. yeah it is crazy because you look at like you know when you watch sort of you know documentaries and they talk about yeah this this was the what formed the permian uh uh triassic boundary and for couple million years you had like literally like part of the earth had been ripped open had been ripped yeah. open and just you know in such a scale it's even hard to imagine it obviously had a very dramatic impact on the rest of the planet <laughs> but it's an interesting discovery because it's almost it reminds me of like the uh of like pangea right like you can you can look at the kind of the continents and see how they kind of used to be shaped together a little bit. This is a little bit like that for our solar system. Just a little bit of, hey, these two things are actually kind of matching a little bit. So uh, everybody's up on Pangea, but what about Panthalassa? Pan, Pan who now? Yeah, pay, wait, wait, what do you mean? Uh, uh, I'm, not, I'm not familiar. I thought there was just one big old continent. You're telling me there was another one? No, no. If you have one big continent, what else do you have? A big a ocean. ocean. A big ocean? That's what called the ocean back then. Panthalassa was the big, huge ocean. Ooh. I 
It seems like something that uh, would be ordered for me uh, at an Indian restaurant that I would love. <laughs> yeah, you would. So that's kind of the crazy cool thing too is if you look up if you look at the breakup of uh, Pangea, first when it's there, you look at a map like, hey, here's Boston, here's Beijing. You can walk from one to the other. You yeah, know? technically, Just, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of amazing when you look at that. And then if you look at the, uh, you're like, yeah, here's you know Morocco and Boston and places like that are together. And then you can see, we're looking at a map of that. You can see that divide where the Atlantic Ocean starts to form. Once upon a time, the Atlantic Ocean was one inch wide. Wow. <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah, I mean, it almost it, it almost looks like, and it runs a little mm, vaguely parallel to like the Amazon River, where like there's a gulf there, but it's it's just it's nothing. It's not much. Wow. Yeah. So the Atlantic started all of a sudden one day. It's a one inch apart. You know, a few years later, it's a couple feet apart, and then over time, there's a whole ocean. And you can still like there's places where there's a number of places where the, the you can still see the seam. They have that famous divide like in Greenland you can swim between, but it's not the only place where it's you know you can you can walk across it. But it's like kind of a I neat thing. People like to scuba dive down there and put their hands on either side of the plates and touch two continents. Wow, that's so. wild. And most of you know that's the thing too is that we 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 get focused on you know, recent events and stuff. And then you look at the geological history of our planet and how deep and how far back it goes. We talk about, we think prehistoric, we think about dinosaurs, but there were ages, entire ages, you know, for hundreds of millions of years when there were no dinosaurs, you know, the creatures that came before. And, you know, you had your age of, you know, just the sea creatures living there and all sorts of things, land animals. There was large, like you had in the Permian, you had a lot of these land animals that were not yet dinosaurs. Yeah. All right, this is going to be kind of a visual thing, and I apologize for the audio listeners, but Bryce, you just played a GIF of Pangea splitting uh, right. uh, into into what we now understand as our as our globe. I would really love if we could just play the Transformers sound effect like while that that happened, just to watch <laughs> it so like like a break out into a pieces, and then I I mean if we could have a way for it to just reverse, I think it would be so amazing because you are you are dead right, Andrew, that there's just this like geologic, this ancient geologic history that if 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 uh, and I would recommend it now since obviously there's there's a lot of tension in the world, but if you ever want to just like put things in perspective, then yeah, there we go. <laughs> Yeah, you can just understand that. Oh, also, we're a tick on the back of a gigantic rock transformer that is still in motion. And we've we've talked a bit about too about how since the you know we're in a current we're in what's called an interglacial period, which is a period basically between ice ages, but it's not like fully out of an ice age. And because there's still a lot of ice, we'll see. You know how long that ice lasts, but there's. Uh, if you go back to, let's say, within recorded history, just going back recorded history, how much water levels have changed, right? Forget the last couple hundred years or the last hundred years, last 50 years. Prior to that, how much water levels? And there's a fat, and I'm not saying there's a faster change now. That's not what we're talking about. But just historically, since going back to the times of the Egyptians, et cetera, you know, how much water levels have moved. There's places like in England, like there's island. There's an island that used to be a farm during Roman times. And you're like, where is the farm? It's a tiny island. Water levels were a bit lower then because there was, you know, a lot more water. It was still locked up in ice caps. 
And that's sort of an interesting thing to think about is like how much like in the last couple thousand years, even our geography of things has changed. You look at people who are out there in the middle of like some of these islands in the South Pacific, you're like, how do they get there? Like, well, go back and look at when their ancestors, you know, were traveling, water levels were lower. There was a lot more landmass out there. There were a lot more islands. There's a lot more opportunity to island hop. And then the water levels raise a bit. And now you're sealed off from everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So well, we well, see that impact now. I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, when you're not sealed off from everybody else is when you are subscribing to the Weird Things Patreon. Patreon.com slash Weird Things is where you go. Make sure you get your custom RSS feed. Make sure you get the After Things podcast that comes to you exclusively as fast as it possibly can. Thanks to that RSS feed. And we only mention it every once in a while. It, uh, it's always worth going over. When we say a custom RSS feed, this is something that you don't need a password for. You can put it in any podcast catcher, and these episodes will just come to you no matter what. In fact, if you uh, uh, decrease your, your pledge or leave, it'll just stop working automatically. And if you want to increase it, then, then uh, nothing changes at all. You don't ever have to download a new one. In it's fact, a, a great feature. It, it it doesn't just it doesn't stop working. It just means that you don't get after things early. You'll still get the episodes yeah. when they go public. So even then, it's a fully functioning feed, uh, even if you're a one-time subscriber. Patreon.com slash weird things. Check it out. Indeed. Now for fun, I want you all to do just an image search for uh Dimetrodon, which is D-I-M-E-T-R-O-D-O-N, Dimetrodon. Dimetrodon. Okay. I'm and looking, just look at the images. Sure, here we go. Oh, this is the scaly boy. He's got a he's got a big fin on the back. See that scaly boy? <laughs> Where do, when you see that, you're like like dinosaur, right? Yeah. No, wrong, false. What? What? That's not, what? A, not a dinosaur. That's a dino no, actually, Andrea, I actually think you know I hate to do this, but I think this is a correction. I think this is a dinosaur because I've seen this in the dinosaur. I books. think yeah. Well, because number one, uh, uh, when you get the dinosaur pack of toys, right? There is like a very standard. Uh, a, a variation. You're going to get your T-Rex. You're going to get your Brontosaurus. You're going to get your Pterodactyl. And and then you're going to get one of these Dimetrodons, which has the big uh, fin on the back. If you got a really good one, you might get an Ankylosaurus as well. But uh, you're telling me that we've been sold, again, another bill of goods here. This thing isn't even a dinosaur? What is it? Well, you're confusing your Spinosaurus for Dimetrodon. Oh, you see species, not everybody with the ridge of like fin like spines along their back is a dinosaur. So then what the hot ham water is a dimetrodon? Yeah, I mean, I dimetrodon guess dimetrodon is it looks like what? a it looks like a lizard, like a like a uh, it looks like if an iguana had a T-Rex's head. OK, so uh, it is a synapsid. OK. So synapsids is that what split off and basically things that are that were related to the mammals. So we are more closely related to that than like a dinosaur would be. That's part of the group that split off and formed the mammals. So that is an extant synapsid, not quite an extant mammal, not quite a mammal, but it is of the same family that we're from. Versus the dinosaurs, which came from the visually, it was a reptile offshoot. You go back far enough, it's like all reptiles, but then the reptiles also split off and then became what became dinosaurs and birds. But it's an example of showing, like, often we think of, like, prehistoric stuff. We just think, oh, you know, dinosaurs and saber-toothed tigers and maybe some sloths. But it's like, this would have been from, I believe this is, would have been, like, a Permian area creature. Just showing, like, there were just a lot of animals. And, you know, the world was filled for hundreds of millions of years 
with creatures before dinosaurs. There was an age before them. Wow. Uh, wow. So these are, this is a dinosaur prequel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like mammal prequel. A mammal prequel. Holy yeah. crap. And I didn't know this lived during the Sizzlerian phase. <laughs> Sizzlerian, ah. Sizzlerian phase. Ah, yeah. So, so it just, it just, I, I love like, if you want to do something cool, go do it like a deep dive in some of those documentaries that are just about the things before the dinosaurs hmm. and just give you that sense of deep history, which we're still trying to figure out. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, the, the, the more the older I've gotten and the more I've I've actually uh, tried to piece together my own view of the world. The one thing that I know more and more is how how paltry our understanding of the world is. And that is that is the beautiful thing about it. The beautiful thing about it is that it's like we are a few discoveries and advancements in, in technology away from just always understanding more and more. So one of the things, too, you can look for to sort of spot the difference. If you go back to that image from or look at the Google images of the Dimetrodon, count the toes. Count the toes. Oh, OK. So okay. like the Dimetrodon, it looks like he's got five toes. Five toes. That, and that would, oh, because, I mean, we have five. Now look at your hand. Now look at your hand. <laughs> oh, no. I'm a Dimetrodon. Ah! Oh, my God. That's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> That's I clever. In the images, there's one where they showed a scale of Dimetrodon, and then they have like somebody put like a sexy woman clip art, you know, <laughs> like like something oh. off of a truck flap. <laughs> yeah, to I guess to to compare the size. <laughs> oh, oh, so the ridge goes about as high as a a, a, a random bot on Tinder. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Anyhow. Oh, that's on DeviantArt too. Oh, I'm not gonna click on that. Oh, that's that's who knows what that's gonna be actually. Hmm. Cool. Demetrodon. Yeah. So dinosaurs are cool. So are all the other creatures that we call dinosaurs, but weren't dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. It is a broad genre. You know, a lot, a lot of things, probably a lot of mislabeled things tend to fall into that in our broad cultural sense. Yeah. Um, like we'd say pterosaur, but they weren't really dinosaurs. They were just flying reptiles. So, yeah. Oh, boy. This is a show we should really just have a kindergartner on here to correct us. <laughs> I know, right? So yeah, uh, everybody who's just learning this for the first time, and they're like, "No, no, you're wrong." I, I mean, there's science has changed enough since I've been in school, where I'll see like TikToks of like, can where it makes me feel like the number of continents and the number of oceans has changed. I know that the planets changed at one point, and then it kind of reverted. Right, and so Neptune is still a planet, but then I, I, I think they re, did they reclassify the continents or something in the past uh, fifteen years. Uh, no one is quite sure, it, but yeah, I, I know there's. Yeah, I think they, as they sort of look at plates and try to figure that stuff up. So, yeah, um, yeah. somebody comments says they say some dinosaurs may have had feathers. Now that's weird. Yeah, that's that's like if you watch new nature shows about dinosaurs, like like if you don't put feathers on some of them, you know, you'll get letters because it seems very likely that many of them had them. Well, right, because oh. we believe a lot of uh, birds today descended from dinosaurs. Is that right? They, they're yeah, they're an offshoot species of that. So they were. I mean, as somebody with birds, I I can see it. I can see it the way that the way that they stalk around and and uh, it is it is very very T Rex esque. Yeah, that was one of the things too. Is like there was an age, you know, we had giant insects. 
you had like centipedes that were like 10 feet long. Mm-mm. Okay. Good God. You had, uh, not me. Yeah, you had uh, dragonflies with like two foot wingspans. And that was mostly uh, uh, oxygen, right? Like it was like well, a more oxygen rich environment. That there, so when they went back and they looked at the fossil record, when oxygen levels went down, the centipedes went away, but you still had the dragonflies. And huh. the dragonflies, they think that was probably like the movement of their wings was able to keep moving air through there. There's this weird way, like, like uh, when you scale up like a, an, a, an insect, like, or you scale up something like, excuse me, like a, a, a dragonfly, you'll see. There are these tubes, these air tubes actually scale disproportionately. So there's sort of an upper limit to size. But basically, they were all around even long after oxygen levels went close to where they are today. And the thing that probably got them was probably a couple factors. It may even have to deal with some kind of plants as far as like kind of the food that was available where dragonflies hatched underwater. And then the other factor is, well, flying reptiles and birds. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They're like, Look at these big, juicy, juicy morsels we can eat. So that may have had a big impact was probably like when reptiles and birds, when reptiles learned to fly, and then you had birds. That was probably the end of giant dragonflies. That was a wrap. Yeah. All of a sudden yeah. they weren't quite as high on the food chain as they were uh, before the new additions. Yeah. Smaller was better. <laughs> uh, another topic here is there is a, a article came out and it talked about sort of bringing up the point that and this is another history example. We were still wrestling with, like, why did Neanderthals go extinct 40,000 years ago, right? Uh-huh. And Dr. Nicholas, Nicholas Longrich, a senior lecturer in evolutionary biology and paleontology at the University of Bath, has an article in the conversation. And basically, he's like, uh, we were at war with them for, like, 100,000 years. He's like, it was probably humans versus Neanderthals you know, we we have this sort of romanticized idea that we infrequently, you know, met with each other. We can see their DNA in our DNA, and we can know, like, the romantic entanglements. But he's like, no, like, these, we find evidence in both groups of a lot of conflict, blunt instrument hitting, fighting, etc. We were probably fighting with Neanderthals for 100,000 years. 100,000 years? They lost. That, that, that's... Kind of like the space story. That is too big for me to wrap my mind around. I mean, that's generations. That's 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 generations of generations of of Neanderthals and, and Homo sapiens. Just, I mean, I guess we think of I mean, war that, now not, as like that's not even a conflict. That's life. Yeah, that's, that's a societal structure. That's so he's got a pretty interesting article talking about like sort of like what would have been like Neanderthal territories and sort of the points at which humans may have tried to incur and just sort of pushed back. That may have been what kept us in Africa for the longest time was just Neanderthals keeping us from, you know, going into there. And finally, Neanderthals would have been a formidable fighter. Uh, they were, you know, thicker bones, you know, bigger skulls. They would have been harder to take down. And it may have been ultimately our ability to cooperate with other tribes, other groups of you know Homo sapiens, the weapons we're able to build, et cetera, that eventually gave us the upper hand. And and it might be, it could be an example of you know why we became the dominant species was because we had to develop. We couldn't rely on evolution alone to let us, you know, fight them. We had to rely upon basically you know cooperation to do this. And it is sort of an interesting tell. You think about this as like. 
they were the indigenous species in Europe and Asia. They were. They were there before us. Yet as we left Africa, we're like, hey, uh, some nice land you got there. We'd like to be there, too. <laughs> and by the way, we're willing to wait for it. Like uh, at least six figures in terms of years that we're going to spend fighting. And this map, yeah. I mean, this map is is brutal. I don't know if this is is this the only, but this is a, a Homo sapien first uh, uh, offensive from South Africa across what would be Asia, Eurasia, even maybe India. Wow. But yeah, you have in parts of Asia they have the Tennisovans, which is another a group that now is getting more attention lately, which was. Related to Neanderthals, but not the Neanderthals. You know, they were a different group unto themselves and were finding more about them and where they lived. And so it is just this map shows you, you know, modern Homo sapiens, archaic Homo sapiens in Africa and in Neanderthal territories and its Zovan lands. Like it's this map of Middle Earth. That's crazy. Yeah. Kind of the, the idea that we spent, you know, 100,000 years in a state of war with, you know, another species. I mean, that it really does bring kind of even context to those like that way of our, our, our thinking, like the idea of a a prehistory uh, world of like you know, races that are just at war. Right. Like that, that if we're just like, oh, no. Yeah. Like they were uh, uh, elves and we were dwarves and we're just that we just hate each other and we fight each other forever. Yep. Yep. And then we kind of. The, the amount of cooperation we actually have today is amazing. It is just, you're not going to find that anywhere else in the animal kingdom, anywhere else, else in history. And we have conflicts that we need to have less of, but that is sort of, I think the hopeful sort of note is that, you know, it used to be a long time ago, two unrelated primates met, they would fight. Yeah. Now, you know, it's not now we case. live. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we have, we have an incentive to cooperate, to succeed, to thrive and to, uh, that we can be, be, be better for trading or at least not killing at the very yeah, exactly. least, not killing. Yeah. We're just yeah. like everything else. Look, it's a rich uh, path that you can follow. Otherwise we're just going to go ahead and set the baseline. It please don't immediately kill each other. Yeah. So another, this is totally unrelated to anything, but I thought I'd bring this up. Just sort of one small story here. Some Stanford researchers have done something interesting where they've put people into VR setups, headsets, you know, hand trackers, measured their data, and they used a pool of 511 participants. And they say with less than five minutes of tracking data per person, they can spot who is who. Oh, like a movement fingerprint, just the way that you idle when you're... Yep. Wow. They gave a, they had them use Vives and Vive wand controllers, and they each watched like five 20-second clips from a randomized... Uh, 360 degree video that answered questions and they said from watching them they're able to tell who was who you know I I wonder whether or not that's part of what we'll just see beyond VR if like you know in, in a world of biometrics where we're you know wondering like okay well is it better to face unlock or fingerprint unlock if, if our next you know uh phase over the next five or 10 years of like ring doorbells will be like, Oh no, we know it's you walking up. Like we mm -hmm. have enough, uh, data of, of just like the, the way you move, nobody else moves exactly like you move. And, and that is that, that is a way that we can just unlock your door no matter what. 
or maybe like that's because they have a similar thing for um captcha right where on some of them you know where you just check the box and you don't uh sometimes you don't have to do the test you know the, the the squares test whatever they base that based on your pointer movement and as long as you don't have a uh automated bot like you know behavior with your cursor on that page uh, in in some instances, right? There's still they they still verify a lot of times with the image test, but they'll just say, oh yeah, that's kind of how a human would have scrolled on this page, or or will act. So we'll just verify you, because that's all it is. It's very it's not necessarily uh, uh, all about the learning image learning stuff. It's it's about verifying what who who is and isn't human. Yeah, gentlemen, one who picks. Sure. Yeah. Um. I watched the, the Netflix series The Queen's Gambit. Uh, it is, I think, seven episodes. Got to the end of it last night. And I uh, very much enjoyed it. I thought uh, uh, the the writing was was really, really good. Uh, what What I'm kind of surprised about, I haven't read a lot of critical reaction to it, but uh, it very much felt to me like a biopic movie from the like aughts. Uh, now, this is a fictitious character. It's not a real person, at least to my knowledge, maybe a composite of a lot of different similar types of people. But uh, it it follows some of those same kind of like stations of the cross of like how the great person became the great person uh, but dialed up to 11 because it's a fictitious story and you don't have to worry about, um, you know, uh, trampling on the truth. But man, did I, did I really like it? And and did I really kind of miss while, while I was watching it? I'm like, oh, this is kind of like walk the line or Ray or, or something like that, like down to some of the, like some of the, 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 the tropier sort of elements of it. But I really liked it. And I, I really like the fact that, like, you know, you, you have a, a movie like Walk Hard, which parodied that. Uh, uh, and I love that movie. It's one of my favorite uh, of comedies of its era. But, like, there's a reason why all these movies won Oscars and, and we like them. And I would uh, I would I more more fictitious biopic movies. I liked it. Yeah, I uh, I I am I only got through six of the seven episodes by today, but I I also really enjoyed the Queen's Gambit. I think about halfway through the 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 thing that kind of threw me is I think you're right, Justin, in that this is very much framed like a biopic. One of the tough things about this is I I don't know a lot about chess. Hey, I don't know a lot about chess, and they do you you can tell that they do a lot to impart. Uh, emotionally what is happening in these matches right a lot yeah. of faces a lot of camera movements and music and, and a lot of direction to tell you how the the course of these these big chess matches are going and it feels th- that has felt unfortunate that is that has made it feel a little a little genericized almost because i i, I i'm 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 getting a little Bit, right like I, i'm understanding a little bit more of like you know there are there are tactics at play there are stratagems yeah like why is why is she good why is she so much better than everybody else aside from from like you know is she just the most supernatural tic-tac-toe player or is there some element to her game 
that we are supposed to understand separates her. I, I do think they get a little bit more to it. And I think there's also some very clever things that they do specifically in terms of jumping ahead where it's like they're building up like tension, 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 tension. And now we're five hours afterward. Like, and now we're, we're, you know, at the bar uh, uh, where, where they're, where they're discussing things. And I think that that's, uh, that is, that is smart because there's only so much chess is only so visually interesting, even if you're uh, expertly kind of set dressing and, and putting it in an interesting period in time. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, that, that's kind of a, um, between that and some of the, these later episodes feel maybe a little, a little, um, loose, maybe feel a little, a little padded a little bit. Um, but I also think that the story, the story is good. And I think it's, it's really cool. The, the setups that they do in the situation, kind of setting it in the cold war and, um, having it be almost a sort of international affair. Um, but it also just feels a little too long. Like it's too long. It would have been too long to be a feature length movie. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You are. You might be at a valley as things begin to pick up because if, I'm those, on the, if I, those are your. I have one last episode. You, oh, you have one last. Okay, no, then yeah. yeah. Then you are pretty much at like you are. You are at the point where, you know, everything is going to uh, wrap itself up. But. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but I think it's great. I, I think it is managed to be an easy watch for, you know. I don't know a lot about chess, but they do a good job of telling me if I'm supposed to feel feel tense or feel feel what. And and uh, I think her own uh, 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 her own issues dealing with uh, substances and and drinking. Uh, yeah, uh, which is which is really ultimately all the biopics for which I just compared it to are they're not really about musicians. They're about people dealing with family and substance abuse. And this is a, another story about dealing with family and substance abuse. And, and it, uh, and again, because they can make up the story and it doesn't have to, you're not maligning somebody living or dead, mm -hmm. uh, by telling the most interesting version of it, they can make it like 11 out of 11 in terms of, uh, how, how crazy things are or, or how, how crazy things got. But, uh, but yeah, you know, uh, I, I, I thought it was, it's amazing also what you can make on a Netflix budget, like, you know, and, and, or even like, you know, uh, we, I'm sure you guys talked about the Mandalorian coming back, but like, it's amazing what visually you can put on screen, like stuff that, that, I mean, not even that would be like, oh my God, this is a, a great movie like uh, special effects uh, and, and cinematography, not but a year ago, two years ago. It's like, like the gap between those two things has almost totally closed. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to double down on your pick in the Queen's Gambit because uh, that's really been what I spent the past weekend uh, kind of hammering through. I, I think it's I think it's a good watch. I think it's a good watch. And it's not that long. It's it's seven hour long episodes. And uh, they call, yeah, they're look, calling if it. You're, a, if, you're, if you're not into it by the first two episodes, then. Yeah. Then, then just just knock it off there. But I think you're you, you're probably going to sail through. Yeah. And um, uh, it, yeah, it's good. The Queen's Gambit is on Netflix. Uh, Andrew, have you got a pick? Yes. So my pick actually is going to be inspired by somebody asked a question in the chat section, which I can't speak to that. But they wanted to know there's a there's a scene where she plays an entire chess club, right? Uh, in chess. 
And somebody said, hey, is this how, you know, how did, did Darren Brown do it the way that he did it? I don't remember when Darren Brown did it, but that is a classic. There's a magic sort of cod where you yeah. play 12 people at chess at once. And so my pick is going to be the first time I heard about that was in a book by Harry Anderson called Games You Can't Lose, A Guide for Suckers. Uh, the late Harry Anderson was a wonderfully entertaining magician, comedian, actor, etc. Also, his writing was great. He wrote this with Turk Pipkin. So in there, if I'm not mistaken, he actually describes, you know, how to how to how to play an entire chess club and win, which is sort of like kind of an old sort of gag or con and what you can do. And I think it's it's just a, a neat book. There's a couple different versions of the book out there. But uh, if you're interested for something, yeah, the Night Court dude, that was him. He used to appear on Cheers as Harry the Hat. and They loved that character so much. They created the show Night Court around Harry Anderson. Wow. I didn't, so. I, I had never seen Night Court, but I did not realize that. Wow. Yeah. So that'll explain how you do that, which yeah. somebody just described in the chat. So, uh, yeah. And, and, and Darren Brown describes it in, in the, 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 the special that he does. So okay. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. Then, yeah. then we get it. The point is, is you, you basically play the players against each other. You just, you know, whatever one person does, you play that move against the next player and you keep going around and around and around. Doing that, uh, which I think the was old, an old we, scam we school episode. I, I believe that was an old scam school episode that that Brian had covered years, many years back. Yeah, oh, probably. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't doubt it. But that's not how she won in the Queen's Gambit. No, no, no. no. She they was specifically are like genius. she starts uh, on all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll just all this is my pick. Like I, I enjoyed the Queen's Gambit. Really liked it. Uh, thought she was great. Like the story. I like the idea of let's create, you know, what if there had been uh, a female chess prodigy back then, you know, and sort of tell a narrative about that, which I thought was great. My only, my only really kind of note on it was, and they tried to deal with it a little bit. She would have been a far bigger deal. It would have been a far bigger deal to have one, a chess champion in the sixties who was going to be able to get an American chess champion who has caught a chance of beating the Russians. Um, one of the things that would happen, like if you follow like, you know, the Bobby Fisher story and all this sort of stuff, the government would have made sure you had money to get to where you needed to go. Yes. And yeah. if, if it had been a woman, that would have been even bigger. There would have been, there would have been news crews and stuff outside of her house a lot. Yeah. You know, there, there are moments where they think they flirt around with uh, putting that into context of of saying like, oh, she has to go to the Tonight Show or whatever. That's like part of her swing. But I think you're right. There there should have been uh, a a bigger swell of uh, uh, fame that that would have enveloped her. And they, you know, without getting into spoilers, they they do kind of show a trajectory of that by the end of the story. But I, I agree. I think that she wouldn't have been able to hide even in Kentucky. Yeah, I, I think that and they could have done kind of made the point even more of what they were doing about like being a woman and what she had to deal with and all that. And the fact that and they, they touch upon this a little bit as she's, you know, in Life magazine and stuff. And it's like telling her to smile and it'd be pretty and stuff. And she just can't just be herself. Yeah. And, and I think that would have been a neat opportunity. To, and I'm curious to see in the book uh by tevis like how much more if that was explored or whatever you know what why they did or didn't do that but anyhow i really enjoyed it everybody i know enjoyed it if you don't like it then um go back to your connect four yeah <laughs> exactly it's been weird
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program.